Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report, back from Boulder, Colorado, alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Chris, Arizona State falls to 5-2 and two with a loss 40-16 to 16 at the hands of the Colorado Buffaloes. We've been saying it from the start, even before Pac-12 conference play started. We said that Colorado was much improved this year and had a ton of different capabilities to really stress the Sun Devils. And it finally happened after ASU's dominance over Colorado since the Buffaloes have joined the Pac-12. Mike McIntyre's squad completely reversed its fortunes in a dominating victory over Arizona State this weekend. We were there, saw it all take place. Your first initial takeaway. Game went about to our expectations, I think. And, um, yeah, we've been a, a... uh, admirer, I guess is maybe a good word, of Colorado and what they've done this season, transitioning their offensive structure and just having a, a much more veteran presence about their team and the way that they operate. Um, they dominated ASU. It was uh, offense and defense were far and away superior, much fewer assignment errors on defense, missed tackles. They executed on offense. They had a really good balance. The run game was probably the best that we've seen anybody have against ASU in recent years. And um, even though ASU didn't give up a big game to Nelson Spruce, it didn't really matter. Colorado still had more than enough success with its passing offense. And ASU just didn't look like it was in the same league as Colorado in that game. The headlines that dominated the stories last week for the Sun Devils were, were Manny Wilkins going to play? And if he doesn't play, what is ASU's offensive capability with Dylan Sterling Cole or even Jack Smith as the quarterback? Wilkins goes out Saturday night. He said after the game he was 100%. Todd Graham said he was clearly not 100%. I think anyone watching that game knew within the first five minutes or so that Wilkins really wasn't close to 100%. But after the game, I think we both agreed that whatever level he was playing at, be it 65 70 75%, that Manny Wilkins was probably the best option ASU had at quarterback for this game. Why is that? Well, he didn't have his normal mobility, obviously, and he only scrambled a few times, almost nothing that was a run by design in their RPO stuff. Um, But at, at least ASU was able to run a lot of its offense with Manny Wilkins. If they had put Dylan Serling Cole out there, for instance, to start, I think that the playbook would have been so small that they wouldn't have been able to be effective anyways. Um, Sterling Cole is just not ready. And the sure sign of that is even at the end of the third quarter, ASU down 20 points and they're still playing Manny Wilkins out there, even after a lot of punishment that he took in that game, five sacks, six hurries. And he was out there all the way until what the last series on offense for ASU. And that's that's a sign that just from film room, what they're seeing in practice, that Sterling Cole's not prepared to be able to be successful. I think you might have some concerns about ruining the confidence of a young quarterback. Maybe you could set him back a ways by 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 you know playing him when he's totally unprepared on the road. Nothing against Sterling Cole. Um, he's still a guy who has great physical tools, and he's just a developmental type of a player. Came from a high school system that wasn't particularly advanced and um, wasn't at ASU in the spring, was fourth on the depth chart until three weeks into the season. He's been working more on opposing teams' offenses than ASU's offenses. So uh, I, I, I don't find any fault in what ASU did other than maybe 
playing Dylan Sterling Cole more in the fourth quarter. I think you bring up a great point there. Dylan Sterling Cole not being here from the spring means he has a different sense than maybe a Brady White had last season if the Sun Devils had the same situation because White was able to spend all of spring practices learning an ASU playbook, whereas Sterling Cole had two, three weeks to do so, and then he became the scout team guy, the show team guy for NAU, for Texas Tech, for Cal. Dylan Sterling Cole, as far as we're concerned, was an air raid quarterback up until this week because he had to learn all those different air raid offenses. He doesn't know the ASU playbook. This was the first week Todd Graham said that he repped with that first-team offense because Brady White had only spent one week in the first team, so they needed Brady White to take as many reps as possible when Manny Wilkins was hurt. Then Dylan Sterling Cole, Jack Smith start to split reps this week. It becomes apparent that Manny Wilkins is going to be able to go. Todd Graham said even on Thursday or Friday, he wasn't sure how much that Manny Wilkins could play, but the Sun Devils were going to run him out there because he knew the playbook, and against a team like Colorado in a Pac-12 matchup, that's probably what mattered most. Yeah, and I don't think that playing Manny Wilkins was a mistake. I think more so the, the, the what they tried to execute um, and their whole plan with Wilkins being out there wasn't, especially exciting. They needed to do a lot more uh, creativity, trick plays, uh, special teams, um, you know, like fake a punt, you know, onside kicks on a kickoff. Uh, Even, even if not something that was like super tricky, just mixed misdirection things like a jet sweep to a reverse. Um, And I think that Chip Lindsay would have been well served to have tried to play more of a possession oriented game. There was too many passes on second down, for example. Now the challenge that he that Lindsey was facing, of course, is ASU's defense gives up so many big plays that you can't really count on the defense to be able to enable that type of a game. And so that's sort of the dichotomy of ASU football right now is the way that they needed to try to play to probably win, they aren't able to execute successfully because of their defense. And... Those are the reasons why we knew going, coming into this game that ASU was going to be very hard-pressed to even really keep it close. Here, here's a telling stat. Manny Wilkins attempts 35 passes, is sacked five times. That means he dropped back 40 times over the course of this game. How ASU, many completed passes, Gary? ASU only ran 63 plays. He completed 13 of those passes. That means there's a lot of downfield shots, and those aren't going to work against a Colorado secondary that is really the best we've seen to this point in the league. And it's not going to work when you know that you're going to need to try to get a few first downs, grinding it out, and take the air out of the ball. And ASU... Uh, had 20 fewer snaps than than Colorado in the game 64 snaps to 85 85 snaps so if you're going to have a a small snap sort of a game you you have to run a lot of clock in between plays when you when you have that many incompletions as you mentioned the clock stopping on all those throws so so the only throws that they should have been trying in this game were really quick throws to try to get two and three or four yards. And even if they were going three and out and punting, at least first, second, and third down, they're running a lot of clock. They're taking a lot of time off the clock. When you pass and it's incomplete and then you go back and then you, and then you pass on third down and it's incomplete, 
you're setting your, your defense up to have a lot of problems, and especially against the Colorado offense, which we'll talk about more, uh, is doing a great job with the up-tempoing things and ASU being gassed in a way that we probably haven't seen in the Todd Graham era. This is probably a game where you want Tim White to catch 15 bubble screens. I, I kid you not. Yes. That is because he's staying in bounds, he's keeping the clock rolling, and Tim White's your best athlete out there. Give it to Put him the ball on in his hands. Give it to him on the jet sweep. Uh, throw to Tim White off of trick plays. Figure out some way to get Tim White the ball a whole bunch of times. And if you're not going to be able to run the ball successfully, and you're not going to be able to get the ball downfield to any of your receivers successfully, then you have to c- come up with creative run replacement opportunities that get you a few yards to help keep you on schedule on early downs. ASU was totally inept at that. 199 total yards in the game. It's the fewest in the Todd Graham era by 51 total yards. You have to go all the way back to the USC loss in 2012 for the Sun Devils at the Coliseum when ASU had 250 total yards to find a game where ASU even came as close to matching the offensive futility. Yeah, and I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, But again, it's not something unexpected. The only thing that really surprised me was that there wasn't more exotic things that were done by ASU's offense to try to give itself some sort of an opportunity. Now, one of the exotic things that ASU could have done is something it has had success with this season, and that's run at Sparky Formation. The Sun Devils lined up just one time in the Sparky Formation. It, it was Demario Richard taking the shotgun snap for the first time, not Kalen Balage. And all Richard does is run a counter for 37 yards to the backside of Colorado's defense, and ASU doesn't go back to that formation the rest of the game. 37 yards gained on that play. The Sun Devils finish with 50 rushing yards for the entire game. Of course, five sacks by Wilkins takes back the overall yardage that ASU picked up on the ground. But nevertheless, there was clearly an opportunity to expose Colorado. You have size at the line of scrimmage, and the Sun Devils weren't able to do it and didn't even really try. Yeah, totally agree. That's a great example of what ASU didn't do. Why not give Demario Richard, who hadn't been used in the this, in this Rocky formation previously because it had always been Kalen Balaj, but he gets that 37-yard run around the end. The the, the rest of Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard's carries combined average 2.2 yards per carry. This is the game where even if you need to play Nick Ralston, you just go out there and you, you take a, a guy who's 220 pounds, Nick Ralston, and you just say, hey, we're just going to throw you into the line of scrimmage as many times as possible. I think Nick Ralston knows how to do that. That based on his high school film exactly <laughs> and, and and you know or or do more things creatively with your sparky you just they just had to do more there wasn't there wasn't anywhere near enough and maybe there was just concern about wilkins health which then made them tentative to try different things but their whole approach was um, really destined to go up in flames three weeks in a row now the sun devils have struggled to run the ball usc ucla and now colorado this week, the Sun Devils are facing facing a Washington State defense that has actually shut down the run for its opponents. They played Christian McCaffrey very well at Stanford. They shut down the run against UCLA. Washington State looks like another good defense. What do the Sun Devils have to do to get this back on track in the run game? Yeah, in fact, Washington State just passed ASU for the first place in the Pac-12 in rushing defense. So this is going to be another big test in that regard. And that's uh, that's one of the key things that you have to to 
just be aware of going into this game because again, ASU needs to be able to get more balance offensively. Um, it's not a su- it's not a surprise. ASU uh, the last three games, its best offensive uh, production was 23 points. Prior to that, ASU had been averaging 48, 49 points a game in the first four games of the season. They went up against better defenses. They've been a totally different team. So um, Todd Graham said this week that. They're going to try to do some different things. Maybe that's personnel. Maybe that's schematically. I'm not really sure. Uh, but they've tried all sorts of different types of power plays, uh, pulling all different combinations of players. They've done inside-outside, stretch zone. I'm not really sure that there is a lot more that they can really... They've kind of exhausted their options in the run game. Yeah, it's not like you're going to go out there and put a whole bunch of different run concepts into your uh, offense in the middle of a game week, in the middle of the season of October. It's just not going to happen. Um, they need to get more from their offensive line. They need to get more from their tight ends. Uh, Cody Cole had a bad game in a lot of respects, gave up two sacks uh, to Colorado's top pass rusher. And a lot of it is is basically those guys just having to uh, step up and play more physically. Flipping things over to the defensive side of the ball, we knew that Colorado's offense was not the same as it had been in recent years. Mike McIntyre brings in Darren Cheverini to help offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren. Those are co-offensive coordinators, and Cheverini's influence is certainly felt on this offense, and it was felt from the first possession of the game. Colorado goes 10 plays, 81 yards in 2 minutes and 59 seconds. That's 8.1 yards per play, and Colorado would average more yards per play than that until the very end of the third quarter. Just a thoroughly dominant performance. So ASU was giving up a league-worst 6.6 yards per play going into this game, and ASU got worse uh, worse uh, because of, the, uh, of its performance in this game. Uh, ASU was already tied for the national lead in 60-plus yard plays allowed from scrimmage, gave up two more. Now they're up to eight 60-plus yard plays allowed, which is the most in the country. Uh, ASU's passing defense uh, didn't do quite as bad in this game, but that's mostly because Colorado had 315 yards rushing and didn't need to throw the ball as much. ASU, one of only three teams in the country, to be giving up more than 300 yards passing, and it's uh, 388 yards. It's far and away the worst in the league, uh, in the nation, I should say, by far. So um, it's just not a lot to really hang your hat on, especially when they're getting run over by a Colorado rushing attack that was a middle-of-the-road type of a, a, a rushing offense. In the league, you have Philip Lindsay. He's not one of the more impressive running backs that you're going to play this season. Colorado's offensive line was maybe the a weaker area of the team going into this game. Um, but not only did they do a good job of, of opening holes and, and beating ASU with the line of scrimmage, they also only gave up one sack. Uh, this is the same Colorado team that gave up five sacks, I believe, last year against ASU when ASU won big in Tempe. And um, so... Just like on the defensive side, on the offensive side of the ball, there's really nothing to point to as a positive. The same can be said on on the defensive side of the ball for ASU. To put this in perspective, Colorado runs for 315 yards. Philip Lindsay, who we mentioned, probably a middle-of-the-road Pac-12 back, best. goes for 226. That's a career high, just the third time in his career, and he's been a starter for the Buffaloes for a while, that he surpasses the 100-yard marker. First time Colorado had had a 200-yard rusher since November of 2002. Chris Brown did it, I believe, against Kansas back when the Buffaloes were in the Big 12. That was when they were good in the Big 12. It's been a while since Colorado has been been able to accomplish things like that and what Todd Graham pointed to today is that 
his defense was tired out there. Salamo Fiso, the biggest run stopper on that ASU defense. DJ Calhoun, another key run stopper. Those guys didn't come off the field because ASU doesn't have the depth right now. Christian Sam is hurt. And Colorado runs that high up-tempo offense at the elevation, mile high, and there was nothing ASU could do to stop it. There were there were loafs out there in this game. There were times when uh, I can remember one play immediately before a Colorado touchdown where Salamo Fizo almost gave up on the rep. Um, and that's not normal for him, especially against any kind of play that's in the box. And it was this was outside, but but it was still a, play, a, a thing that he would typically try to get to, or, or or maybe even be able to make a play. He wasn't. You had DJ Calhoun taking bad angles or running at guys and not breaking down. He looked gassed. I think ASU up front, Amila, to Tayshon Smallwood, JoJo Wicker, they were having a hard time getting off blocks. That's a sign of you not having the normal energy that you have. Um, you did a uh, something. That was a little bit humorous in uh, the lead to one of your stories, Carrie, talking about a Colorado fan who was letting ASU players know uh, from the first row of the stands before the game. The it's 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 a it's hard a, to breathe up hard here, breathe. boys. Yeah. Hard to breathe up here. And, was, and he must have said it fifteen to twenty times. Yeah, and ASU's players were kind of laughing at it. Yeah, but there was a lot of truth to that. Lyle Mokiola said, "We're from the desert." He actually responded to the fan. Yeah. He so said, we're from the desert, which is about a thousand foot elevation versus 5,000 plus. And ASU just doesn't have the type of depth right now. You have Christian Sam, who's missed every game since NAU. He's an important player to give those guys a breather. DJ Calhoun and Salam, if he's a really, he should be a starter and Calhoun should be spelling him, spelling him, I should say. In the secondary, um, you already have you know guys who are coming into this game banged up, playing hurt, and you're shallow because you have guys who aren't have been very effective. Um, so, so that's an issue. You have maybe a three tackle rotation at best. Once you go past that, you start to have a drop off. So, Colorado going to this more of a uh, up tempo air raid structure with its passing concepts against a. a, a team that we thought was a better looking athletic team in ASU just on the hoof you look at those two teams Colorado was maybe good with its top 30 to 40 players but across a roster ASU is definitely superior athletically size uh, size wise and yet that was negated by the way in which Colorado played and also uh, how much of a senior veteran uh, and execution uh, sound uh, opponent this was Four and a half years into the Todd Graham era, and today I believe was the first time I've ever heard him say they were better conditioned. I think he might have said it like in the first year, Mm -hmm. like in the first early on, first couple games, we got to get better conditioned. This is going to be a process. And then by last year, he was talking about where where we want to be in all these areas, and uh, you can tell the difference in our program and all these kinds of things. And then now you're back to saying we don't have enough players to depth wise and where our injuries have been a problem and we're and our conditioning has been a, a factor that's a little bit alarming when you're in the fifth year of a program and you should uh, have the competitive depth uh, to be able to overcome a couple of these injuries key injuries though they are to be able to get players on the field who are able to execute and some of the recruiting mistakes that they've made particularly in their in their in their secondary recruiting in the 2012 13 and 14 classes are now starting to be factors and also they just haven't had enough depth at the linebacker level uh, the Kalen Thomas being hurt and coming back from a torn meniscus and maybe not being 100% a factor uh, you've had a few issues with Carlos Mendoza over the course of his career not being able to be healthy and be out there so um, the 
kudos to Colorado for figuring out how to really use its home field to even more of an advantage. Uh, Philip Lindsay, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, uh, probably the best game he's ever had in his career, and it comes against an ASU uh, defense that was number one in the conference in, in rushing up until this game. 89.3 yards per game had been what the Sun Devils were giving up on the ground. Colorado rolled for 89 yards in the first quarter and never stopped after that. Yeah, I mean that was. I mean, you knew even though the game was like close early, like seven, seven to seven, seven right? Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel like that. And and the reason that that the game was close like that is because Colorado had the muff punt that ASU then capitalized on uh, from about thirty one yards and was able to get a touchdown out of outside of ASU uh, scoring 10, 10 of its sixteen points on muff punts at the thirty one and the thirty two yard line, and then Zane Gonzalez being a near mythical fi- <laughs> figure uh, with a 59, three fifty three had three field goals in the game mm-hmm. and he had a 59 yard field goal, a 50 yarder and a 51. So, so the the first time ever that ASU players had three fifty plus yard field goals in well, a game. Well, it's the first time a college player has done it since nineteen sixty six. Okay, so <laughs> so I mean, basically what I'm saying is this guy is maybe the best college kicker of all time. Yeah, he's. What, 19 of 20 on the year? 19 of 20 on the year, 650-plus yard kicks. They started keeping this stat back in 2005. He has now tied Graham Boswell of Rice in 2012 with 650-yard kicks. But Gonzalez has five more games left to play. And with the way ASU's offense moves, you get the feeling he'll have the opportunities. He's rewriting the the record book. Not mm-hmm. the ASU record book, not the Pac-12 record book. He's writing the national record book. Yeah, past Dustin Hopkins for career points with yeah. that 59-yard field goal. Yeah, and so the the one miss that he has this season was from 53 yards. The guy is unbelievable. But, but to, to the point, what happens if not for ASU's taking advantage of a couple of muffed punts and then Zane Gonzalez out there? We're looking at a game that maybe is a 50-point Colorado win. That's how lopsided the really, this really was. And if Zane Gonzalez didn't win Special Teams Player of the Week, it was almost assuredly going to be Matt Hawk, the left-footed punter for ASU, who each week the spin on his ball looks so difficult to catch for opposing punt returners. Jay McIntyre muffs too. It's causing guys problems. And this here again, this is why ASU needed to try everything in its power to make it a field position game and take the air out of the football and make it low possessions and run the football as much as you possibly can because you have a, key, a big advantage on special teams, including Matt Hawk, and he had a 75-yard punt. 76-yard punt at the end of the half. That's crazy, right? He averaged he averaged over 50 yards a punt, 52.1, I believe, yards mm-hmm. per punt. Um, it was an eight-yard eight difference over the Colorado's punter, who also had a good game in altitude. Uh, so they just couldn't take advantage of the way that they needed to play given some of their limitations, which comes back to coaching and, and discipline. Zane Gonzalez is the best kickoff specialist in the country. He's the best field goal kicker in the country. I have a hard time believing that some guy who is so dedicated to his craft can't come up with a perfect onside kick. I think he probably could. I mean, he's got to be practicing Is, is he not? Is he the best player in college football? I mean, is there is there put it this way, is there enough of a drop between Zane Gonzalez and whoever is the second best kicker that it's even more of a drop than any of the other positions that yeah. there are nationally? I mean, you can make the argument that there's no bigger difference between the top overall player at a position and the number two overall player. That's at a what position I'm saying. Kicker. 
then yeah, I think so. That's it it just I'm depends sure. if you value quarterback play, left tackle play, middle linebacker play over kicking. Well, obviously quarterback play is more important than your kicker, but Zane Gonzalez can't throw touchdowns from under center, right? <laughs> no. So all he could do is do... We don't know that yet. <laughs> maybe he can. In fact, maybe he Didn't could... He catch. He caught uh, a two-point conversion a few years ago. Maybe he should go out there and just throw the ball to himself <laughs> and then kick the PAT and then kick the field goals. I, you know, I don't know. All I'm saying is the guy's amazing. We haven't seen anything like it at ASU, even including Luis and Zendejas, for those of you who um, remember him. And, and yet... No, it didn't matter. You know, didn't matter in this game. Although it probably has meant the difference between a win and a loss for ASU this season already. Twice. Twice. At least, yeah, at you least once, maybe twice. UTSA, they win by four. He has 250 yarders. And, and UTSA in that game missed a, a short field goal. Yeah. So. so there it is. And Cal, again, Cal's kicker missed either one or two. UCLA, Gonzalez breaks the record. He was three of three. Sun Devils win by three points in that one so you could make the argument that gonzalez's wins above replacement is the highest it's ever been for a kicker in college football and there's going to be a replacement next year for zane gonzalez <laughs> and there's going to be a replacement for matt hawk next year and so that's going to be a factor uh, for another podcast the sun devils five and two now but nowhere close to the ap poll rankings the coaches poll rankings people pretty much see through this five and two record they understand that asu isn't as good as that record indicates what gives? There's a lot. It sounds crazy, but there's better barometers for how good a team is than its actual win-loss record. And yards allowed per play is a great one. ASU wasn't a good football team last year. I think everyone would will admit that, right? And mm-hmm. even though they went to a bowl game, things, you know, just it was by far Tagram's worst football team. Um this year, they've gone from allowing 6.2 yards per play to 6.7 yards per play. So they're worse in, on defense, you know, just by the best metric you're going you're gonna to use. Now, Todd Graham and other people say, well, rushing defense, that, that, no, that's, a, that's a key stat. Well, ASU last year was second or third in the league in rushing defense. But they were so far and last in passing defense, it didn't matter. This year, right now, they're second in rushing defense. They're last in passing defense. So far and away, it doesn't matter. You can stop the run, but if you give up more 60-plus yard plays than everybody else, and you're giving up one or two a game that are giving that are being that are touchdowns, and then your offense isn't able to execute at a really high level, because let's face it, Manny Wilkins, um, he's in the bottom tier of quarterbacks productivity-wise in the league. He has one more touchdown pass and he has interception. Uh, his passer rating is maybe like eighth or ninth in the league. The rushing offense against USC, UCLA, Colorado has been poor. So why? What? what is it that makes this team all that good? Um, I, I think that fans got a false sense of ASU's capability for this season with the 4-1 and one start. I think five and one start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I just think that the the it, ASU was going up against t- defenses that were just atrocious, and they won some games that were shootouts or um, maybe they did just enough defensively to be able. Well, they did enough on special teams and they got the turnovers defensively. Turnover margin is the other stat that Todd Graham points. But to. they weren't doing that well in turnover margin in the first four games. They were like minus two or something. But they got them at the key times against Cal and Texas Tech. Correct. So, and you beat UTSA in a game you should win in a blowout. You beat it by four because you don't win the turnover battle. Right. But we were talking, um, you know, that before we recorded this, 
ASU was probably the worst five and one team in the country. Wake Forest was the only other team that was that was in the conversation, probably among the Power Five schools. And now uh, we see some of these advanced analytics models coming out, and ASU is the is the worst five and two team in the country um, by uh, Football Study Hall and some of these others. Uh, and and that's not a surprise to us. The surprise I hate to tell tell everybody was that ASU was five and one. Not that ASU got run out of the building by Colorado. That wasn't the surprise. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way the season has unfolded for the Sun Devils. The remarkable thing is there's still a lot of winnable games on this schedule for ASU. You get arguably two of your tougher opponents at home in Washington State and Utah, where the Sun Devils play historically much better under Tagren than they have on the road. You're going to lose at Washington. And then you get U of A, the Pac-12 South's bottom feeder, on the road in what will be a very winnable game. And you get Oregon, which has struggled to stop anything defensively, up at Oregon, day game at Autzen Stadium in two weeks. Well, here's the thing that hasn't changed at all. Not from before the season started when we did our first podcast, not when ASU was 5-1, and one, and not now. If ASU gets to 8-4, and four, that's three wins of its, la- of its last five games. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenal performance with this team, and especially given some of the injury problems that they had, Manny Wilkins, Christian Sam, and all the others, right? So that's possible. That's achievable. You know, if they beat Washington State, they, they have to beat Washington State in order to get there, right? But even if they, you know, end up, two and three and it's a seven and five type of a season that's probably about on par with what you would have expected going in uh given some of their challenges that they've had it still sets them up reasonably well for next year when they should be a better football team on offense and defense absolutely a lot of young players right now on offense and defense todd graham has stressed that but that's it for our recap of asu colorado a couple more things to talk about on this podcast including Updated look around the Pac-12. Not much happening this weekend in Pac-12 play. Washington State defeats UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Or actually, no, that was up in Pullman. Pullman. Driving rainstorm there. 27-21. So UCLA with three losses. The early season favorite. The preseason favorite to win the Pac-12 South. Yeah, it's the offense that's just given them a lot of problems. They've, they've gone to this pro style. They've been kind of stubborn with it, even though their, their personnel doesn't necessarily match it other than Josh Rosen. And then this week after that loss, Jim Morris said, we're going to reevaluate things on that side of the football and, and make some changes. I think that kind of makes sense. I did think that uh, if UCLA had been able to get by ASU, that it would probably be the favorite in the South despite its, its challenges because the defense is much better. Uh, and it just kind of looked favorable the way it was setting up for them. But but they've kind of taken a big step back now and, and definitely are not uh, going to end up atop the South. Big matchup this week between UCLA and Utah, which still in first place in the Pac-12 South with Colorado, but Utah starting to run out of gas. 19-14 victory over Oregon State. These games are are always big. It seems like the the, the games between these two teams are very competitive. Uh, I think USC is obviously trending in a really good direction after starting the 0-2. Sam Darnold uh, is coming into his own, and he's going to be – a juggernaut to, to deal with for Pac-12 teams moving forward. Their defense is kind of sort of settling in. Utah, what we've seen from them is strong play at the line of scrimmage, and their quarterback and skill positions have have, have been a problem. Uh, they got to try to you know keep the game close and lower scoring and and see what happens. I'm very fascinated with this with this matchup. USC is back though, 48-14 victory over Arizona, and like you said, Sam Darnold looks good. Oh, yeah. He's looking really good. Arizona, we knew, was the, the worst team in the Pac-12 South. And uh, 
And the Trojans did have a uh, big injury. Stephen mm-hmm. Mitchell with the ACL. He had been playing well. But they have enough to where I, I would say at this point in time, it, it does kind of change almost from week to week, that that USC and Colorado are definitely the two favorites. Maybe a slight edge to USC. USC has a bye this week. Won't play again until they face Cal next Thursday night on ESPN. Uh, the other team that I did need to bring up real quick is Stanford. 17-10 victory over Notre Dame. That's not what we want to talk about. We want to talk about their upcoming matchup hosting Colorado. Yes. Um, I'm going with Colorado in this one. I'm, I'm, I'm picking it. The game's in Palo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. But Colorado's had some real challenges with this run game. Christian McCaffrey hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been out there. Uh, and Colorado's offense has got enough versatility to be able to uh, keep Stanford from being able to hone in on anything, which is what's really important when you're playing against Stanford. I just think. Colorado's a better football team this year. And let's face it, Colorado, really strong right now after being picked sixth in the Pac-12 South. Who would have thought at this point in the season? Uh, Final thing to get to, our trip to Boulder this week. Some highlights that we need to share with fans for future trips. Anytime you're in the Colorado area, the vicinity of the state, there's one place you have to visit, Chris, and that is... Avery Brewing Company? Yes, sir. Um, Just maybe five minutes or so outside of downtown Boulder to the northeast. This building looked like it had been scrubbed with a toothbrush. It was so clean. We go inside and just the amount of good beer there was like... Startling. Yes. I've been to Russian River. I've been to Firestone Walker. I've been to Stone. I've been to the top. I've been to... Deschutes, and I've been to most of the top breweries probably in in the West, and Avery Brewing easily holds up against some of those. Um, the the Tweak um, barrel aged uh, beer that they had was uh, Imperial Stout, phenomenal. It's as good as anything you'll try. Knock you on your rear end. Eighteen percent alcohol. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a rumpkin beer. The pumpkin ale there. That wow. Pumpkin ale that had been aged in rum barrels. It, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't overly sweet. And and the pumpkin in it was so uh, so fresh and balanced tasting. That was really tremendous. And then uh, what was the IPA that we Maharaja. had? Maharaja. The Maharaja double, double IPA, IPA. The, the 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 balance of citrus and 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 pine cone and hoppiness. I mean, it was a transcendent experience going to this Avery Brewery. <laughs> How about the vanilla bean? Yes, the vanilla bean stout was like the fourth best beer that we maybe had, and it was great. I mean, and people were having it. You could bring your dog out there. People were hanging out outside. It was a great vibe. Um, I'm gonna. I'm going to have to go back there every single time that I'm in the Boulder area. That is a can't-miss spot in yes. Boulder. Uh, another good shout-out for the Boulder area, Wayne's Smoke Shack. Oh, yes. Central Texas Barbecue. Listeners of this show, listeners of the Sun Devil Source Premium Report, know how big of a fan we are of Little Miss Barbecue at 44th Street and University in Tempe. And Wayne's Smoke Shack was a close second. And that's hard to say, but it actually was. And Wayne's is is somewhere along the freeway there in between Westminster and Boulder, about halfway. Um, so about 10 minutes uh, uh, from either either direction. Uh, they had the moist brisket that 
that you got to try it at Little Miss Barbecue. They call it the wet uh, and or they call it the fatty mm-hmm. at Little Miss Barbecue. Places either call it the fatty or lean or they call it the, the moist. Um, Wayne's calls it the moist. It was it was terrific. I would even say that their pork ribs were better than the Little Miss Barbecue. I would agree. Um, which, you know, that's almost blasphemous, but, uh, we didn't get to try the mac and cheese, which we really wanted to, but the mac and cheese had, they had already run out for the day, even though it was only one thirty or so PM when we went there, but, uh, not even a line at this place. Like that's the other thing. When you go to a little miss barbecue, you better be prepared to wait an hour. Uh, most of the time, uh, sometimes you maybe can sneak in there in a half hour, 45 minutes, but at Wayne's, we walked right out to the counter. We had, we had the barbecue and we were sitting there enjoying it. That was a that was a terrific place. Great experience had by all. Yes, yes, and we went to Kachina for uh, Ooh, breakfast burritos. breakfast burritos. That was uh, in the Hyatt Hotel. That was in Westminster, and that was a that was a solid uh, breakfast burrito. Really good stuff up in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, we are cutting this episode a little bit short because we've got a Sun Devil Source Premium Report episode to record. Got a lot to talk about on there, answering questions from the Devil Sanctuary subscribers. Really informative stuff. Larger trends. We'll be looking specifically at ASU's quarterback play, ASU's offensive line play, why the Sun Devils are struggling so much in the secondary, where this depth issue is popping up in great detail. And it should be a great episode coming forth later this afternoon on the Sun Devil Source Premium Report. Yeah, this is just, you know, this is the glossy version, and that is really more of the intricate version so if you like what we what we're doing on our on our free podcast make sure you subscribe to sun of a source just go to sun of a source.com you'll see it right there sign up join follow us and uh, get in and also join the largest asu community and if you liked our recommendations for boulder guess what on the sun of source premium report we get food recommendations for the valley Every every week, <laughs> every week and every different type of food. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. But that will do it for the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. We'll be back next week wrapping up Washington State ASU homecoming at Sun Devil Stadium. <laughs>